0: Welcome to the FBH Podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhamford.org. We haven't met before. My name is Pastor Brian. I'm the uh, next-gen pastor here, and it's with that authority I tell middle schoolers, you're staying in service today, okay? I know you missed me, and I missed you, so here we are. Uh, when, when I was younger than I am now, now <laughs> when I was in my uh, early 20s, I was a part of this college ministry. At my, uh, at my church, and it was just a group of young adults who had no idea what they were doing in life, had no direction, but we gathered together to eat delicious food, fellowship, and, uh, and read the Bible together, and it was during this time that God was really forming me in my beliefs about him uh, and, and shaping and molding me in, um, yeah, just that firm foundation and during that time, I was surrounded by some young men who uh, were really craving theology and really jumping into reform theology, which naturally, uh, that's where I gravitated to. And if you're wondering, what is reform theology? Um, I mean, theology is the study of God. And reform theology is a branch of theology that really focuses in on the sovereignty of God, meaning uh, how God is in control of all things. He is almighty, all-powerful. Um, All-knowing, all-present. He is in control of all things. Uh, and you're thinking, well, isn't, I mean, isn't that pretty standard? Y- yes, but I mean, there's also other branches where you, you have um, a really big focus on free will. And so it was really interesting uh, during our college group nights, we would be discussing whatever the, the, the Bible study was that night. And it always became these two um, opposite ends of the spectrum of free will and uh, essentially pre, pre, uh, predestination. And we were always like going head to head. As we're looking at the text, we're like, well, didn't God predestine them? They're like, no, 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 like those people chose it. And it became this running joke where uh, by the end of the night, everyone's saying, well, did I choose this or did God predestine it for me? And uh, one, of my, one of my closest friends he, uh, he actually really struggled with this. Like he would lie awake at night in bed. And this isn't a joke because he's like a really deep thinker. He would lie awake in bed at night staring at the ceiling and be like, okay, do I have any free will? Like God's in control of, of all things. Do, do, I, do my actions matter? Has everything been written in history and I'm just living it out? And if so, that means I have, I have no control over my life. And he wrestled with this. Because I know he would be sitting there on the couch during college group and he would just be in, in deep thought. And then finally he'd be like, no, no, it can't. And so anyways, he wrestled with this question. If God is in control of all things, do my actions matter? Uh, the importance of actions in the Protestant church has always been a cautious one. Because, you know, during that 16th century reformation when we were breaking away from the Catholic church, part of that was breaking away from a works-based salvation. And as Protestants, we I mean, the Catholic Church has had reformed throughout time. But as Protestants, we stand firm that our salvation is by grace alone. Like there is nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. Like you can work yourself to the bone, but that does not earn you the right to stand before God and say, look how clean and pure I am. Aren't I holy? Don't I? Shouldn't I be in your presence? We can't do it. There's only one person in history who has done it, and that is Jesus. And Jesus freely gives that salvation to anyone who would believe in him. And so we stand. So we stand firm on, on salvation through grace. But then we have this problem where we don't like to talk about our actions because we're like, "Well, well, well we can't. We can't have an, an, a works-based righteousness." And so that's where things get a little, a little tricky, where we don't like to talk about those things. Now, I fully agree with with this. I fully agree that we are saved by grace. But that does not mean that our actions are meaningless. And the problem is that there are a growing number of of Christians, especially in the United States, who live like our actions don't mean that much. Because I honestly think it's almost like a a, a shallow depth of faith. Because for the the people who live it intentionally, like that our our actions aren't that meaningful, when they do it intentionally, it's usually behind um, this, this thought that, well... God is going to forgive me, right? Like, Jesus died for my sins. Like, he, he knew what he was buying. He paid for my sins before, my sins today, and my sins in the future. So I can just kind of live however I want. My actions don't matter that much because God is going to forgive me. That's a, that's, that's a shallow way of thinking. Or maybe it's God wants me to be happy, right? Like God doesn't want me to be sad. God wants me to be happy. He wants the best for my life. And I think that this is what is best for my life. So if I think that's best, that's got to be best, right? That's got to be good. God would want that for me. So sometimes it comes intentionally where, our, where we dismiss our actions as if they don't matter that much. But other times this is where it's really dangerous is when it's unintentional. We start to mask our faith depending who we're around. Like if we're at work and it's not that friendly to to people who are Christians, we start to kind of hide our faith a little bit and we put on a mask to be able to blend in with the crowd or whether it be at school or whether it be when we're out with our friends on the weekends, we can begin to put on masks wherever we are and it's oftentimes it's not intentional. Or maybe uh, we, we've, we've grown up in a home with faith, but we've never had our own. But we've always wore the title of Christian. Like, oh, I'm a Christian, but it's just, a, it's just faith by name. Like the actions don't line up with the faith. But I think the most dangerous one is that's unintentional is when we've grown up in the faith, we've had faith for many, 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 many years and we begin to fall asleep. We're complacent. And we begin to fall asleep. That's a dangerous place to be. But then we come back to the question that kept my friend awake If all things are under the sovereignty of God, God's control, God's rule, God's reign, then do my actions matter? And that's the question we're going to be wrestling with this morning as we continue this series in Revelation. So if you have your Bibles with you, please open up to Revelation chapter 3. We're going to be starting in verse 7 this morning. Um, I'll give you a hint, it's the last book in the Bible, so you can just flip to the end or you can scroll to the bottom of the Bible app. But that's where we're going to be. And when you're there, the large numbers are the chapters and the smaller numbers are the verses. So we're in Revelation chapter 3 and we're going to be starting in verse 7. Now, I want to state the obvious. I think the obvious is that most of us aren't lying awake at night thinking about the sovereignty of God and, and free will. Like, we're not trying to figure out how this works, right? We're thinking about how expensive groceries are. We're thinking about how expensive gas is, like, like things that are impacting us every day. So I want to recognize this, isn't, this is usually something that is, um, we're thinking about, whether it be in this setting or, or during specific Bible studies, so... I do want to recognize that, but at the same time, I think that um, we have this opportunity to begin to see life with a very um, intentional mindset that sees how God is at work and how we can step into that work and we can respond in faithfulness because ultimately that's what it's about. God is doing this great work and we respond in faithfulness. So with that, let's, uh, let's jump into today's letter. So we're going to notice that this letter is written to the church in Philadelphia, which the name just means brotherly love. And this city is located about 30 miles southeast of Sardis, and it was believed to be an, an important commercial stop on a major trade route called the Imperial Post Road. It was like a first century um, mail route, if you will. Now, scripture doesn't mention it um, explicitly, but uh, scholars believe that Philadelphia, the church in Philadelphia is uh, directly connected to Paul's work in Ephesus that is spread out to the countryside. um, Because Philadelphia is about a bit east of Ephesus, but it's really close there. Now, part of uh, Philadelphia, like their worship, it it has to do with, with pagan gods, like, there are inscriptions of, of worship to pagan gods, and then also there's the imperial cult as well. So this is sort of the, uh, the culture that's taking place there at the time. So with that, let's, we're going to read the text all the way through, and then, and then we'll jump um, a section at a time. So starting in verse 7. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia writes, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them my name, the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. There's a lot there. So... I'm, I'm going to kind of lay out a little bit of a roadmap of where we're going uh, just to make sure that you're able to, to track along with me. And I want to tell you, we're not going to get to everything in here. There's a, there's a lot of good good stuff in here and some good symbolism, things like that. We're not going to be able to get to it all. So I want to encourage you to do some Bible study this week if it piques your interest. Um, but we're, we're going to start out with that, that first verse and look at how... That is speaking to Jesus uh, about who Jesus is. And that's really important. And then we're going to look at how throughout the letter we see this intertwining between God's sovereignty and humanity's um, responsibility to respond in that. So the beginning of this letter is similar to the previous letters in which the opening lines are in reference to Jesus. Consider the three groupings that are mentioned here. Um, So we have the first one that Jesus is holy and true. Jesus is holy, meaning he is without sin. He is pure. He's perfect. And to say that he is true is to say that he is authentic. There there is no falsehood in him. So that's the first thing. The second thing, we see that Jesus holds the key of David. What does that mean? Well, that means that Jesus is in complete control of who enters into the kingdom of God. We saw in chapter 1 of Revelation, or you will see in chapter 1 of Revelation, that Jesus holds the keys to death and Hades. While in the same way, he holds the key to life and to salvation. So that was the second thing. The third thing, Jesus has, has sovereign control over opening and closing doors. What does that mean? We're going to get to it here in just a second because it's, it's in combination with that whole God's sovereignty and, and humanity's responsibility. So as Jesus talks about knowing their deeds, the deeds of the, the, the actions of the church in Philadelphia, he says that he has opened a door before them. And this can, this can either refer to uh, ministry opportunities that he's presented before them, open doors, or it could be salvation, Now, I'm convinced he's talking about salvation, and here's why. Um, Later on in the following sentence, they speak of the the church's faithfulness despite their lack of strength. So consider the pagan worship that existed in the Greco-Roman world. For them to remain faithful even while everyone around them is worshiping other gods, that is a testament to their salvation. They are standing firm in what they believe and living that out. They have believed in the saving work of Jesus, and it has shaped their actions. And here's where the sovereignty of God and our responsibility, they intertwine. Jesus has opened the door to their salvation. And let us remember that he controls who enters the kingdom. No one can stop him from opening the door. He is in complete control. And Jesus actually speaks of this phenomenon to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Um, Nicodemus is like, what do I need to do to enter the kingdom? And Jesus tells him, you need to be born again. And Nicodemus is like, what does that mean? And Jesus is explaining it to him. And he tells him in verse 8, he says that the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. You see, God is at work opening doors of salvation for people. And, and no one can close them. And we, we don't exactly, we can't see what God is doing. We can't see what he's doing in the lives of, of people. But what we see is, is the results of it. When someone steps through that doorway and enters into salvation, we see that through their life. Yet at the same time, in all of this, Jesus is praising the church for their faithfulness. So Jesus is saying, I open doors and then he's praising them for their faithfulness. In response to their salvation, they have kept his word and they have not denied his name. As they have experienced salvation, they have a responsibility to live a life that is honoring to God. And they have. That's what Jesus is, is recognizing. You have. You, you're doing it. In verse 10, Jesus take, talks about how they have kept His command to endure patiently. And again, this implies that they could have broken this command. Maybe they they could not have endured patiently. And we've already seen how Ephesus had forsaken Jesus. We saw how Pergamum and Thyatira had been swayed to false teachers. We saw how Sardis had fallen asleep in their faith. We've seen how our actions are not meeting the responsibilities that have been placed upon us. Like we've seen that. And if you're like my friend who was kept awake at night asking himself, if God is in control, do my actions matter? Then the answer is yes, they do. They do matter. Jesus expects us to be living a life of faithfulness, not a life that is striving for salvation. Jesus did that. He paid the price. Now respond in faithfulness. Walk in that. Here's what I mean. James gives, gives us this very clear picture of how our faith and our actions must align. So in James chapter 2, uh, he writes, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If, if one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. God is sovereign. He is in control of all things. He's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, he's all-present. And that does not mean that your actions are not important. We don't always know why God does what he does. We may never know why God does what he does. But we do know that we have a responsibility to walk in faithfulness no matter what is happening around us. As we're as we're nearing the end, I want us to look at in this text. I want us to look at how the church responded in faithfulness and how God is sovereign. Just in this, just in these few verses, we see in verse 8C, we see, while weak, they kept his word and did not deny his name. That is something they did. That is an action they did. In verse 10, they kept Jesus' command to endure patiently. Those were their actions. Those were them responding in faithfulness. Now, consider the sovereignty of God. In 8b, he opened the door to their salvation. In 8c, he knows what they have done. In verse 9, he will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan fall down at their feet. In verse 10, he will keep them from a great trial that will come over the earth. In verse 12a, Jesus will have the one who remains faithful forever in the presence of God Almighty. In verse 12c, Jesus will write on them the name of God, the new Jerusalem, and his new name. These are things God, Jesus has done, is doing, and will do. These are promises that Jesus will do these things because he is in control. Lastly, consider verse 11b. Jesus tells them to hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. This is a command to remain faithful with their lives. You see, for my friend who was kept awake at night by the question of whether our actions matter, if God's in control, yes, they do. Now be faithful and look forward to the promises of God, the promises of eternal life in the presence of God. You see, for those of us who may intentionally or unintentionally be living like our actions don't matter all that much, I want to encourage you to reconsider. You see, living an intentional life, an intentional life that is, is seeking faithfulness to God, is so much greater than living a life that is all about yourself. Maybe you're in this room and, and you've been living for yourself. And you're just pursuing whatever it is that makes you happy. I can guarantee you there have been or there will be times in your life where that happiness just flees. But I can tell you, as someone who used to do that, someone who now is trying to strive after a faithful life with Jesus, that there is so much joy in living a life that is seeking to honor God instead of honor myself. Because God is the only one who stands firm when life is falling apart. So I want to encourage you. Seek to live a life that is honoring to God, that is glorifying to him. And maybe you're someone who has lived a long life of faith. And you're starting to feel like, man, maybe I am falling asleep. Man, I want to encourage you, wake up. Man, there's still time left. God's still opening doors all around you for you to help people walk through. He's setting up divine appointments. Don't fall asleep. So, how do we remain faithful? And how you live your life, a few simple things. They're so simple and yet they're so difficult for us to do sometimes. So, first one, man, we need to be in the word of God. And I get it, you're thinking, man, isn't that the Sunday school answer? (laughs) Yeah, it is, but man, we got to be in the word of God. How are we supposed to know what is good, what is true, what is right, what is holy if we're not in the word? How are we supposed to live a life that is glorifying and honoring to God if we don't know what's glorifying and honoring to God? We need to be in the word. And then also, we need to be in community with other, like a small group of people who are holding us accountable to say, hey, you're not on track. You're trying to, you're trying to serve yourself. And they're going to do it out of love, and they expect you to do the same for them. But we can hold each other accountable that we are living a life of faithfulness. And lastly, maybe you have yet to walk through that door. Maybe Jesus has it wide open for you and you have yet to walk through it. And maybe it's your time to step through and start living a life of faithfulness. Church, my desire is for Jesus to tell us that we have kept his word and not denied his name and that we would hold on to what we have. God is in control and we have a responsibility to live out our faith no matter what we endure here in this life. There will be a day when Jesus welcomes us into his kingdom. But until that day, remain faithful to him in all that you do. Let's pray. God Almighty, we we recognize that you are holy. God, that you are worthy of all of our devotion. You are worthy of all that we are. We give it to you. We surrender our will. We surrender our lives in service to you. God, we recognize you're doing incredible things in this world. And you're using us to partner with you. God, help us to remain faithful and steadfast in this life. That we wouldn't fall asleep, that we wouldn't become complacent, that we wouldn't abuse the freedom that grace has given us, but that we would each day walk intentionally in our faith. That we might honor you, glorify you, and receive that joy that only you can give us. And God, if there's anyone in this room who has yet to walk through that door and they're feeling compelled to do so this morning. God, I pray that you would give them the strength to pray, to pray with me that, God, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. God, I, I believe that Jesus is that Savior. And God, God, I surrender myself to you and to your will. And that I choose to follow you each and every single day. So, God, we thank you and we love you and we pray all of this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.